0: me invite you to open in your Bibles to the book of Ruth again. Uh, for the, the last time this summer, together, we're finishing up this series on the book of Ruth. But we'll be looking in chapter 4, verses 11 through 22 today. And as we come to the end of that book, we're, we're coming to a conclusion not only on this book, but also in this, this kind of extended look at what it means to be a family. We've said that in a, in a very real sense. The book of Ruth is about God's desire to create a sense of belonging among his people and to make families out of un- unlikely pieces and parts, people. To draw us together in diverse ways so that we can fulfill his purposes and so that He can do his redeeming work in us. So this morning, as we finish this book, I want us to think about what this this book of Ruth says about the family line back there in the Old Testament, but also what it suggests about the family we belong to here this morning. Earlier this week, back on Monday, Pete and I were both at the office, and about lunchtime, Uh, a family dropped by. They they came through the back parking lot. And they asked if they could come inside the Sunday School building to look around. And some of you probably know that the the Sunday School building next door served as the Jericho town school for generations, for for quite a long time. And so this this individual, one of them, the the husband in the family, had actually been a teacher at the school back about 40 years ago. He taught fourth grade here in Jericho. And he, he remembered those years with great fondness. He had lots of memories in that building and out in the grass out front playing football with the kids. And so he wanted to show, uh, show this place to his wife and also to a teenage niece who was, who was with them that day. As we showed the, the family around the building and heard all of their stories, uh, they, they said that actually they had moved out to Seattle. They'd been in Seattle for several decades. But they were back this summer during the school break, and they had spent the last few months kind of retracing their ancestral roots in Vermont. And uh, he, in particular, had connections in Jericho and in Underhill and Bolton and Richmond. So they'd been going to houses and farms and historic places connected to the history of his own family. It was, it was really inspiring to see how meaningful that history was not only to him, but also to his teenage niece who, who lives here in Burlington. And that she had actually spent much of the summer doing ancestry work and digging into her family's genealogy. This summer we've sort of been, I would suggest, doing our own ancestral explorations as we've studied the book of Ruth. And digging into our family story. And if you can remember all the way back to chapter one, back in June when we started in, we are introduced at the start of the book of Ruth to a family that is very much in crisis. It's a family that's been uprooted. The nation of Israel at that time is in in, uh, chaos, almost anarchy, it's unstable, and then a famine hits the land. And so this family is, is driven to Moab to the east and then after that, the, the, seri- the, the family experiences another series of catastrophes, so much so that Naomi is the last member of this family left standing. Her husband dies, her two sons die. But through God's unlikely partnership of, of bringing her life together with Ruth, her daughter-in-law, and their journey back to Bethlehem, In the the chapters we've studied together, this story about a family in crisis, a family uprooted, a family undone, that story has come full circle. And now we have a family that has been redeemed. As we look at the conclusion to their story today, again, I want us to think about how this story is part of our story. How God says... Kinship in his family is bigger than just DNA. It's the way that God attaches our lives together for his purpose, for his mission, regardless of of whatever backgrounds we've come from. And so I want us to think about how Ruth and Boaz and Naomi and Obed, their son, serve as our spiritual ancestors And we're going to see a number of blessings or promises that are prayed over this family at the end of Ruth. And at the end of of our message, I'm going to invite you all to pray together in groups that those same blessings would be true of this extended family in Jericho. So let me pray for us as we finish this, this book together. Lord Jesus, we are grateful that you have given us your family story, recorded in the canon of Scripture. I'm grateful that it's a story full of people flawed, full of, full of people that fail and make mistakes, full of people that don't, don't really belong together, but you choose to put together. And you do beautiful, redemptive, miraculous work among. Lord, would we find our place of belonging in this family of yours. May the words of my mouth as I preach this morning this family story, and may the meditations of our hearts as we think about where we belong in your family story, may all of these things be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So again, just to bring us up to where we left off last week, The beginning of chapter 4, we see Boaz going to the city gate in Bethlehem and gathering the elders there. And he engages in the act of redemption. He he chooses to redeem both Naomi's ancestral land so that it stays within the the extended family. But more importantly, he chooses to serve as a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer to Ruth, to take her as his wife. We said last week that choice, that action on Boaz's uh, initiative came at great financial cost to him, but also it was a significant risk because he didn't know how that action would be perceived here by his community and the elders, right? He's, he's taking a Moabite woman as his wife and there's, there's a lot of potential controversy in that choice. But I want us to see how that community responds and honors Boaz and Ruth and Naomi and their faithfulness, their chesed love for God. And they pray these blessings over this family that is being redeemed. Look at verse 11 through 13. It says, at the announcement of this marriage, as Boaz calls upon them to be witnesses to what's taken place, It says, then the elders and all the people at the gate replied to Boaz and said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah. Women who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. And so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. there's this great outpouring of blessing by the elders of Bethlehem. And it reminds me kind of like a, a wedding reception toast. We were just at a, a wedding last night at the Davis Farm. Where, you know, you get up and you, you, you pray a, a blessing promise over the new bride and groom. Right? The elders are praying this blessing of fruitfulness over this new family. When Katie and I were, were first married, some friends of ours back in China gave us a gift of a pair of quite expensive chopsticks. And we thought, OK, that's, that's nice. We, we like chopsticks. We use chopsticks sometimes. But they said, no, it's not just to use in the kitchen, but it actually has a symbolic meaning. And that's in, in Mandarin, a lot of the, the blessings uh, revolve around the sound of particular words, and, and other words they sound like. So in Mandarin, the, the word for chopsticks is kuai zi, which sounds like a couple things. It sounds like the Mandarin word for happiness, which is kuai le, but it also sounds like an abbreviation of two other words, kuai, meaning quick or fast, and zi, which means child or son. And so if you give someone a pair of chopsticks at a wedding, you're wishing happiness, kuai le, but you're also wishing that they might quickly conceive a child. So in essence, these friends were wishing us a honeymoon baby at the wedding reception. I don't know if we were ready for that kind of gift. Uh, As it turned out, it took a couple years for that to take place. But in in a similar way here, on the day that Boaz and Ruth are married, as, as this is made official at the city gate, the village elders are Rooting for a honeymoon baby. They're rooting that God would bless this family, and in verse 11, they pray that, that she might become like Rachel and Leah, matriarchs in, in the people, among the people of Israel, who together built the family of Jacob, or the family of Israel. And then they go on in verse 12 to pray that, that she would be blessed in the same way that Tamar was blessed with a child named Perez in her her union with Judah after she had been widowed. Again, they are praying for a a fruitful future for this couple. They're praying that this family line would extend and continue by being filled with an abundance of offspring. But these women that they name, Rachel and Leah and Tamar, They pray that Ruth might be like them in some way. I think the author has has named them here and remembered this blessing for another reason. Not just that they had many offspring and and are part of this, this great family line. But if you dig into the family stories of Rachel and Leah, Tamar and Judah, they are messy stories. Rachel and Leah and Jacob and Tamar and Judah they are, they are flawed people. They are broken people. They're, they're the kind of people that if you dug into your family ancestry, you'd be tempted to sort of take their pictures out of the family photo album. Right? They're, they're in some cases shockingly dysfunctional. And yet, by no virtue of their own, God chooses to make a family from these people. Right? He chooses to bless them and to make them fruitful. Which I think tells us that fruitfulness is not a transactional thing. It's not something given to us in return for our virtuousness. Fruitfulness in the family of God is is a gift. It's a mercy. It's an evidence of God's faithfulness. And so when we read here in verse 13 that Ruth Upon being married to Boaz, very quickly conceives a child. We're we're meant to see this as a miracle, a gift of God, the blessing of God. Remember that that she had been married previously for more than 10 years and had never been able to conceive. And yet in this new union, God almost immediately brings fruitfulness to their family. He's adding a new generation as a sign of, of his faithful love. He desires this this family to be fruitful. And so if if there is a a real sense in which we are meant to be located in this family history, and in this this lineage and this genealogy, then that means God also desires this family to be fruitful. To see a a new generation grow up in our midst. And of course, there's, there's the encouragement of seeing Lots of offspring, lots of children down here every Sunday morning. That's one way God makes us fruitful. But I also think God makes us fruitful when, as a church family, we have a place for, we have the space in in who we are to bless women like Ruth, the outsider, or Tamar, the overlooked, or Leah, the ignored. Right? God chooses to make us faithful when we choose to include those who would be excluded otherwise. When they're welcome to find a place of belonging with us. God will send people to this family, people of diverse ages, people of diverse, diverse ethnicities, people with diverse life stories, And he charges us to be mindful, just like the elders at the gate in Bethlehem were that day, to pray blessing over them, to extend welcome to them, that the family of God would become fruitful by by growing and, and welcoming those that God would shelter under his wings, adding them to one family. So the family we belong to is meant to be fruitful. We see in this passage the prayer for fruitfulness answered almost immediately with the the conception of this child. And then we move in verse 14 to a second blessing. This one offered not by the elders of Bethlehem, but, but by the women of Bethlehem. As they surround Naomi after the birth of this child. And they pray over the family that she belongs to. Verse 14 says, The women on the day of the child's birth said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May the, the redeemer become famous throughout Israel because he will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter in law, who loves you and who is better, you than seven sons. She has given him birth. And so Naomi took this child into her arms and she cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. As the women of Bethlehem gather around Naomi, and they pray this blessing over her. There are a number of things that may seem at least initially strange to us about what they say and what they do. The first is, is the person they pray the blessing over. They, they, they focus their attention here on the Redeemer that has been raised up for Naomi. And up to this point in time, the book has, has really focused our attention on Boaz being that Redeemer stepping in to take that, that role, to redeem Ruth, to redeem Naomi, to protect them, to welcome them. But if you, if you dig into what they say here, actually the person named as the Redeemer is not Boaz, but the child born to Ruth and Boaz. This, this infant that she holds in her arms is to be her Redeemer. Not only do they name the child as her redeemer, but they even go on to say that this child is Naomi's son. The the child that Ruth has just given birth to. And I think in doing so, they're they're recognizing that this child is an an answer to the the brokenness, an answer to the emptiness that we saw back in chapter 1. Her family line had come to an end. There was no hope. And yet through this incredible story, God has brought an heir, brought a child into this family. And so this, this son is reckoned to Naomi as her very own. She holds it in her arms and treasures him. Thirdly, what might sound strange to our ears in this blessing is that the women of Bethlehem pray that this child would be famous. Scholar Daniel Block says more literally, they are praying that his name would be called out, would be on the lips of the people of Israel for years to come. And in verse 15, they they name why this child should be famous. They say this child should be famous and should be long remembered because he will sustain you, he will renew the, the spirit and the sense of life for you, Naomi. He will sustain you well into your old age. And he should be famous and his name should be recalled because he was born into a family that nearly disappeared. But now God has provided an heir for that family. And so for generations to come, people should should remember who this child is and how he came into being and, and the purpose for which he was sent. To refill those who were empty. To be a sign of God's blessing to families in crisis. And so, as they're praying this blessing over Naomi, they they gather around her, and, and again, in an interesting sort of fashion, the women of the village begin to debate, what should we call this child, whose name will be famous for generations to come? And it says, let's name him Obed. Obed in Hebrew meaning servant of God. Let's remind God that, that he has supplied a servant to you. That the way God acts is by coming in humility. By coming in, in chesed love, in other-centered faithfulness. Not with pretension, not with love authority looming over us, but rather coming from the bottom up to serve and to bless. And so the name that should be famous among you is the name Obed, the servant of God, through whom God will renew and redeem and restore. Just as we we again locate ourselves in this story, I believe that God also desires the family we belong to to be famous in the same way prayed for here. Not famous in Twitter or Instagram feeds, not famous among religious types for spiritual clout, but being famous with a reputation for being humble, a reputation for being servants. A reputation for being those who renew and restore and redeem. Famous as Obeds. Who walk among our neighbors here with the humility of those who are servants, not sent to seek our own good, but sent to, to sow the blessing of God in this place. Right, what would it, it be like for, for our names, to be on the lips of people here. As those who have deeply and sacrificially spent ourselves in chesed love for our neighbors. That's what it means for us to belong to the family God chooses to redeem. So God desires us to belong to a family that's fruitful and and adding, adding to our number by bringing in those he's called He desires for us to be famous in the kind of people, the character of people we become as those who serve and act with humility and minister his goodness to others. And finally, we reach the the last few verses of this book. And we see there's one final blessing spoken over this family line. And it's a blessing that connects Ruth and Boaz's story to a much bigger future story. Verses seventeen to the end of the book twenty-two. It says, "Obed, this child, was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David." This then is the family line of Perez. They're going to pull back here and give us a kind of a ten-generation genealogy. It says Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. In this this concluding genealogy, we get a kind of bridge, I think. Right? The, the genealogy tells us who came before Boaz, who comes after Boaz as Redeemer. And in the same way that, that Boaz and Ruth and Naomi serve as this bridge in, in the family line of God, so to remember we talked about the book of Ruth being a kind of bridge between past and future in God's story. Remember back at, at the beginning in chapter one, it comes on the tail of the period of, of the judges, when, when Israel is in chaos. Everything's kind of an anarchy. And it says that, that everyone did what they thought was right. right? It, it's this complete autonomy, this p- complete disregard for the good of the other, this complete disregard for God's kingship over his people. Right? That's where the book of Ruth started. But it builds this bridge through the story of Ruth and Boaz. And after we hear all that God does in these few people, he actually begins to change the trajectory of a whole people and a whole nation. And he's going to draw them out of anarchy and into unity. And under one king, to be one new people, one new family together. And so the book of Ruth finishes on a much brighter future. Right? The narrator says, after, after this baby, Obed, this servant child who will be famous among his people, when he grows up, he will father a son named Jesse. And Jesse will father eight sons of his own, and the youngest of those sons will be named David, the beloved of God. And David will become famous in Israel, not just as their first great king, the first king to, to unite all the people of Israel, but as the king who, who learned over the course of his kingship to turn from his own way and to try to seek the heart of God himself as king. And so Naomi and Ruth and Boaz and Obed and Jesse and David end up as direct participants in this family that has a future purpose, a future mission, a future calling. What I think's even more incredible is that, that this future extends beyond what the narrator, what the, the author, whoever wrote down the book of Ruth, could see even when the book was finished. Right? It ends with David, the exalted king of Israel. But David's line would go on to produce... The son of David, the lamb of God, the anointed one, the Messiah of Israel. David, the shepherd boy, would go on in his family line to yield to us, Jesus, the great shepherd of his sheep. And who calls each of us by name, calls us to belong to his future family. And so we are that family. At this present moment, we are the ones called to be that bridge between the past history and the future mission of God and his people. We're not Christ's ancestors like Ruth and Boaz, but we are Christ's offspring. The New Testament says we're his brothers and sisters. We're the ones he redeems out of living for ourselves so that we might live an other-centered life we might be part of that redemptive future with him. So I want to finish our, our time together this morning by inviting you to get together in small groups, maybe 10 or 12 people, just sort of where you're seated, but you can, you can turn around. And I, I would love for you to pray these three things over this extended family. And we've talked a lot about what it means to belong both to God and to one another. To be part of a family that God has chosen, and God is creating, and God is, is knitting together. And so would you pray that God would make us fruitful, right, in all the ways we've talked about. And especially that fruitfulness that comes by welcoming in those God would send to us. Those that might feel to us like unlikely family members, but that are, are those God has chosen, those God loves, those God is working among to redeem. Would you pray that God would make us famous as servants in this community to be marked by the character of humility? And would you pray that God would give us His future?